0: Well, I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles tonight to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Very significant Psalm, for it sets before us much of. Much to be considered of the being of God and his attributes. And it is really is a psalm worthy of much consideration, though we will not consider the whole tonight. But Psalm 139, and we'll begin reading from verse 1. Psalm 139, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue But lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from Thy Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from Thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, But the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Amen. Ending our reading there at the 12th verse, trusting the Lord to bless his word to all of our hearts. Let us seek his face and ask for his help as we seek to hear the word. Our Heavenly Father, we come asking again in the name of Christ that you will open thy word to us. Lord, Please, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, take me, oh Lord, beyond the preparation that that man can can put in, Lord, to a message. We know, Lord, that the best efforts of man are useless and vain without the blessing of God. And so, Lord, as we come to Thy Word, we come acknowledging we need to hear from Thee. Lord, we need to hear from Thee. Thy message for Thy people. And so, Lord, we ask, move upon us. Open the Word to us. Fill each of us with Thy Spirit and enable us to rightly hear the Word of God. Exalt Christ in our hearts, O Lord, we ask in His name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. Well, we've come tonight to another question. Verse 7, you see the question there. The psalmist David asks, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And really there's a parallelism there. Uh, the The question really is one and the same, the presence being the spiritual presence of God that is everywhere. And this question and its answer brings before us one of the most solemn and mind-boggling considerations as we think of the being of God. And we think about what is termed as His omnipresence or His all-presence. Really, that just simply means that God is everywhere. And that seems like a simple thing to say until you consider the ramifications of that and all that that Contains when you say that God is everywhere. And as we come to consider this subject tonight from this text, it is important to always remember the vital importance of understanding who God is and reminding ourselves who God is. That any time we come to consider truth at all in the Scriptures but especially truth about God, it is always a study that is, should, properly conducted, lead us to action. It is something that should lead us to be compelled to, to do something, even if that something is to simply be still and know that I am God. That's still an action to be taken, to be still and know that I am God. And so, As we come to consider this tonight, it is a solemn consideration of the fact that God is everywhere, His omnipresence. And for Christians, this consideration of this truth is immensely comforting. It's also challenging, but it's also encouraging. But for the lost person, considering this truth is overwhelmingly frightening. And it's important to remember that, that any time we consider the attributes of God, especially certain attributes, it is, as it were, a double-edged sword that cuts both ways. And so, we'll consider some of both of those aspects tonight. But really, what we're coming to consider from this text is the inescapable presence of God. The inescapable presence of God. David, in saying this question, is not intimating in any way that he is desiring to flee from the Lord, but it's really coming off the back of what he's just discussed in the first part of the psalm, which is God's omniscience, his, his all-knowing nature, the fact that he knows all things. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. And so, considering his omniscience leads us to consider his omnipresence. Because as he knows all things, he is everywhere. That's why, as part of why we consider him knowing all things. Not that he has to be everywhere to increase his knowledge because his knowledge is not able to be increased. And these are things that are that are far beyond our comprehension. But... As we come to consider this, the inescapable presence of God, the first thing I want us to note is the reality that God is everywhere. The reality that God is everywhere. For it is something that, though we are as Christians, we will we will assent to that, we will acknowledge that, the Bible teaches that, but it is a reality that very often we fail to duly consider and live in light of. And so, let us think about the reality that God is everywhere. Verse 7 shows us this. David, in his questions, implies this. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And the answer is nowhere. There's nowhere that I can go where God is not. And these things, they begin to, to make your head spin once you've studied them for a while. But, the reality that God is everywhere. The first thing I want us to see here, it is a revealed reality. It is a revealed reality. It is revealed in this psalm. It is revealed throughout the rest of Scripture. David uh, clearly reveals it to us in verse 7. And we can see it even in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. But why do we say it is a revealed reality and why does it have to be a revealed reality? Why is man not just really perfect in his knowledge of this? There are certain things that are revealed to us from nature. We know that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. God's existence is revealed by the fact that we see his handiwork in all of creation. But this particular attribute is revealed distinctly. Well, why? Well, because man in his fallen state thinks that God is limited. And so it has to be revealed. You see this clearly immediately following the fall of man with Adam. We were here not that many uh, weeks ago. And you see the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 verse 7. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden, thinking that God was limited. Immediately after the fall, man's knowledge of God is tainted. is tainted by his desire to hide his sin. And so men and women, included mankind, all in this world think that God is limited. You see the same thing Revealed in Psalm 94. In Psalm 94, it's even more explicit in terms of how men think about God. They think He is limited in terms of His uh, spatial ability, where He dwells or where He is located, what He sees. In Psalm 94, we read from verse 3 Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things, and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, The Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand ye brutish among the people and ye fools, When will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? But man, in his fallen state, convinces himself, God doesn't see this. God doesn't see everything that I do. He's not everywhere. And yet, it is revealed that He is so. And this psalm hedges us in so that there is absolutely no place left out of our imagination. David asks this question in verse 7 and then gives a detailed response to his own question. In verse 8, we see that God is in heaven. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I ascend up into heaven, if I go beyond that which where I can normally go, if I ascend, and you could take it into a spiritual sense or a physical sense, if I soar into the heavens, by plane or something else. If I go up into the spiritual heaven, He is still there. If I make my bed in hell, behold thou art there. Hell being uh, Sheol, which is uh, usually thought of as the grave in the Old Testament. So in other words, into the earth. So whether I'm going to the highest place in heaven or the lowest place in the earth, He is there. So God is in heaven. But he also says God is in earth. We already noted that in verse 8. But then he says God is in the sea. Verse 9, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, the uttermost parts of the sea, the, the depths of which we haven't even gone to, places that you know submarines and all these things that men have created can't even plumb the depths of the pressures too great. And the psalmist is saying in the uttermost parts of the sea, no matter where it is, Even there, verse 10, shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Now David's drawing comfort from this, which we'll get to in a moment. We're really just considering uh, the doctrine first and we'll get into the more practical uh, application in a minute. But David's drawing much comfort from this as a child of God, just to note that and keep that in mind. And so God reveals this Because he knows men left to themselves are going to convince themselves he's not everywhere. But he confronts us with this truth. And he he confronts fallen men with it and he comforts his saints with it. The psalmist also notes that darkness makes no difference to God. Verse 11, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. In other words, God doesn't see darkness. It is, it's just normal to him. If you turned off all the lights in this room and none of us could see each other, God's looking upon us like it's the same. And those things tend to just boggle the mind, as we've said. But this is the point, as we think about it being a revealed reality, that he, he has just made this abundantly clear that no matter where you go, there I am. He alone is everywhere. Because this is a distinct attribute of God. It's very important to remember that God alone is omnipresent. He alone is everywhere. The devil is not everywhere. Angels are not everywhere. Though they may be fast, though they may be able to travel, and there's all kinds of considerations there when you think of Satan roaming the earth and from Job and all those statements but at the end of the day they are not God they are not everywhere and so when we think about God being everywhere it's always important to distinguish that that He alone is everywhere and that is a part of this revealed reality it's also important to distinguish as we think about this revelation that He is not everything. What do I mean by that? I mean that He is not this pulpit. He is not those pews. Though He is present throughout all of His creation, He is not in His creation in the sense that He is His creation. Really, we have to just distinguish between what's called pantheism. That God is His creation. That as you look at a tree, people will say, In their folly, uh, that tree is God. And that's pantheism, which we want to make sure that we avoid. God fills all space, but he is not matter. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he is a spiritual being, and yet he fills all space. (laughs) So it is a revealed reality. But also, it is an incomprehensible reality. It is an incomprehensible reality. It is hard for the human mind to truly grasp all the implications of what David is saying. And to make this even more clear, he says in verse 6, coming on the back of what he said regarding God's omniscience, the same applies to his omnipresence. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I am unable to comprehend this truth. I can believe it. I can understand that it is true. And yet I cannot understand it in its entirety. And to show that to you, or just to further elaborate on that, turn to 1 Kings 8, uh, 27, if you care to. 1 Kings 8, 27, where we are shown sort of a different attribute of God, and yet it still uh, has implications for what we're considering. In 1 Kings eight 27, uh, we're in the context Solomon is uh, dedicating the temple. He's standing before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the congregation of Israel, and he spreads forth his hands and he begins to pray. Well, then in verse 27, he comes to consider this, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven, of, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. And really, this draws our attention to God's immensity, that, that he is not only everywhere presence, but that he cannot be limited to any location, to any place. This man, uh, Greg Nichols, you may or may not have heard of him, is systematic theology. He makes these statements, and I, I share them with you because they are helpful as we think about this truth. He writes, quote, No expanse exhausts his capacity to fill. His infinite being surpasses the dimensions of the universe. My mind cannot comprehend the boundaries of the universe or beyond. And he goes on to say, if we could fathom going beyond the boundaries of the universe, to go outside of space, outside of time, no matter where we would go outside of those boundaries, we would always find God. For He is immense and He is all present and so it is an incomprehensible reality when Solomon says in verse 27 the heaven and the heaven of heavens that is an all-encompassing statement of the very it really goes beyond anything we can comprehend in terms of space and so in addition to those it is an awesome reality And when I say that word, I do not mean it in the cheap jargon of today. I mean awesome in the greatest, noblest sense of that word. It is an awesome reality that God is everywhere. Why is it that? And how is it that? Well, because when you consider the fact that God is everywhere, it should immediately When you are hit with that reality that as you and I sit here, it is as if we are before the face of God. That should immediately cause us to approach God in a certain manner. And you see this, you see this, this coming home to someone's heart in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, where, where Jacob uh, experiences his conversion. We were here not that not that long ago as well, but you see this illustrated in his life. In Genesis 28, verse 17, says, well, verse 16, Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." And so, though God is present everywhere, God is able to localize His presence in a particular way so that He makes His people intimately aware of His presence. This is something of the truth of what our Lord Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. So that though God is not limited in his presence. He localizes his presence with his people. And he makes them aware of that so that Jacob can say, the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. How dreadful is this place? The gravity of the reality that God is here should affect us deeply. For we realize the weight of that. A holy God infinite in power, infinite in His wisdom, infinite in His justice, infinite in His goodness, and all those things we consider from our catechism, should all come to bear whenever we endeavor to worship God and to, in a sense, enter into His immediate presence. So it is an awesome reality. that is the reality that God is everywhere. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? But secondly, I want us to see the results of God being everywhere. The results of God being everywhere. For we we see the, the truth, but what does that bring to bear upon us as we live? David is not just theorizing about God. He is not just sitting around and, and just thinking about these things to no end. It's to the end that it would change how he would live. And indeed, in this context, he is comforting himself with this truth. But so let us think about the results of God being everywhere. The first that I would note is that it should deter God's children from sin. It should deter God's children from sin the reality that god is everywhere should result in us walking before god in a way that acknowledges he is always right there with me it is as a child being more sensitive to their behavior when their father is present I think that that's the right illustration for us to consider. We're not, as believers, to be walking in a sort of fear and trepidation that God is going to pour out wrath on me. We're not to take it that way. Christ has satisfied the wrath of God, but we are to walk before God as our Heavenly Father. One who, as a loving Father, will chastise us for sin, one who will correct us. And more importantly, not we don't want to just walk around afraid that God's going to punish us for our sin and chastise us. We want to walk before Him as you would want to please your Father. That's really the thing. As you walk in your daily life and you walk in this reality of God being present with you, it's like your Father walking right beside you. And you want to do those things that please Him. You want to do those things that are honoring to Him. But this is this takes on a very practical illustration in Leviticus 19.14. As God gives His laws in Leviticus to His people Israel, He says in Leviticus 19.14, Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt... Fear thy God, I am the Lord. You think about that, how the Lord words that. Thou shalt not curse the deaf. Well, they can't hear your cursing, but God can hear it. Thou shalt not put a stumbling block before the blind. They can't see you do that, but God sees it. And that's the point, is that when you and I go throughout our day, we are to interact with one another and with people in this earth in the reality that God sees everything I'm doing. There there are no blind spots with God. As a child, sometimes we'll we'll think, I can get away with this because my parents aren't looking. Well, that doesn't happen with God. There's never an opportunity where you have a blind spot where he misses anything. And again, you have to be careful. That's why I say it should not deter God's children because it is he, as he deals with us as children, we'll come to think of the lost in a moment. But it should deter God's children from sin. It should cause us to walk daily in light of the fact that our Father is walking with us. But also here, as we think about the results, it should motivate God's children to do good works. It should motivate us to do good works. This application of the omnipresence of God, our Lord Jesus hammers out in Matthew chapter 5, really. He, he brings several things before us there in the Sermon on the Mount that really just highlight the degree uh, of how this omnipresence should affect us. In Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 6, rather, in verse 1 through 4, he, he refers to them as alms. Do not your alms before men, that your, your good works, your deeds of righteousness. Don't do those before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men verily I say unto you they have their reward but when thou doest alms or good deeds let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth that thine alms may be in the, that thy alms may be in secret and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly so the lord jesus is there applying the fact that god is everywhere to this practical daily living of his people he's saying don't do your good works to be seen of men do them to be seen of God don't do things that are that are good that people will appreciate just to be seen of them now he's not saying that we never do good works in front of people because we're later told that they'll see our good works and give glory to our father which is in heaven so there's an aspect of that but it's the motive that he's addressing And he's saying, as God is everywhere present, your motive for doing good works should be to be seen by your Father in heaven, to please Him. And he says the same regarding prayer. He says the same in verse 5 through 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So it not only applies to our good works that we do about daily life, holding the door for someone in a polite manner, or sharing the gospel. That's a good work. And sometimes we can, or not necessarily us, but I definitely have seen people where it seems as though they're just religious when they're around certain people. And no doubt you've seen that as well. And that's to be seen of men, not to be seen by the Father. But it's the same when you pray. You pray in private that God will reward you openly. And he says the same thing uh, regarding fasting. Moreover, verse 16, When ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But, when, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So it should motivate us to do good works. That's what our Lord Jesus is is preaching there to His people. Saying the fact that God is everywhere should be your motive to do good works. Not to be seen of men, but to be seen by your Father. To please Him. But also, here, as a part of the results, it should comfort. It should comfort God's children in this life. It should comfort God's children in this life. Because as David launches into this consideration of the omnipresence of God, in verse 10 he really says some very comforting words, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. David is drawing comfort. Whatever the context may be, we don't really know exactly where David is in his life at this point, but there would have been many times in David's life facing many enemies, many perils, many places where he would have been very, very uncomfortable, and yet he's able to say, no matter where I am, there is my Father. And He holds me. He leads me and His right hand holds me. He sustains me. He's right there. You have this illustrated in so many ways. There are so many different places that we could see that. Our Lord Jesus' words in the Great Commission, when He tells the disciples to go into all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, for I am with you always even to the end of the world. I am with you always. So as you can, you can imagine, not so much in our country, but when you think about going into a country where basically the policy is if you preach Christ, we're going to take your head off. And you think about the Lord's Jesus, the Lord's Jesus, our Lord's words there in Matthew 28. I am with you always. No matter where you go, no matter what country, no matter what dark place you go in this world to preach my gospel, I am with you always. You think of James, what James says in chapter 4 of his letter, where he says, To submit ourselves in verse 7, James 4 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. Again, drawing our attention to that fact where the fact that God is able to draw near to us in a special way, that he's able to localize his presence in a sense. And so He is able to draw near no matter where we are in the world. And He is able to draw near no matter what we are facing. It's like Hagar in Genesis 16, 13 where she says, Thou God seest me. It's like in Mark chapter 6. Our Lord puts His disciples through a test. In Mark 6, 45 after the feeding of the 5,000, it says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into a ship, to get into the ship, and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them, He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid." And so the Lord puts His disciples through a test, through a trial, to to grow them, to conform them. And then He sees them. Though they're in the midst of the sea, though they're far off from the land, He knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly the state of their soul. He knows the state of their mind. He knows their fearing and trembling in the midst of this storm. And it is like that for us. That as you go through your life. Now I don't mean to spiritualize that passage. But it holds true that, that our Lord puts us through various trials. That He actually brings them into our life to conform, them, conform us to Him. And He draws near to us in those trials. He knows where we are and He is with us in whatever we face. And so it should comfort God's children in this life. Knowing that God has promised to be with us. Knowing that there's nowhere we can be that He is not. And finally, as we think about the results of Him being everywhere it should drive lost sinners to Christ the omnipresence of god the fact that he is everywhere should drive lost sinners to Christ why because god as proverbs 15:3 tells us that his eyes are everywhere beholding the evil and the good that he is as it were, seeing everything. That every idle word of men shall, is recorded and they will be called to give an account for it. When David says, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence, it is tremendously comforting for the Christian. But as I said at the beginning, it is overwhelmingly frightening for a lost person if they duly consider their state before God. They are like a criminal with every crime caught on camera. And one day it will be as if that that camera, that recording will be played and they will be speechless because everything will be there there'll not be one thing they can say, I never did that. Because God will know it all, does know it all. That is frightening. It should be frightening to anyone outside of Christ. Jeremiah really brings this out in the language of Jeremiah 23, 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? There's no place to hide from God. Not now and not on judgment day. And so to flee from God is futile. We read earlier of Cain being driven out of the presence of the Lord. Well, that's not meaning that Cain was somehow not in God's presence, as it were, in the earth. For we know that God is everywhere. But it's referring to the fact that, that Cain was Seeking to reject God, reject conviction for his sin, and plunge himself further into sin so that he's given up unto wrath in that way. And so the answer to the conviction that the all omnipresence of God brings is not to try and flee from God. The answer is to flee to Christ. That's the answer that every lost sinner needs to realize. The answer is to flee to Christ. That very same chapter in Jeremiah 23, 6, we're given that wonderful title of our Lord. He is the Lord, our righteousness. And that's what the sinner needs. Righteousness. The righteousness of Christ given to them so that though God is everywhere in God's sight as they are in Christ, they are justified. And that's the comfort that you and I have as a Christian. But for anyone listening, or if there was someone here who doesn't know Christ, it is terrifying to not have that righteousness and to know that God sees you everywhere you are at all times. The answer is to flee to Christ. I trust that if anyone here or anyone listening online hears this, that you do not seek to try and hide your sin as Adam of old or as countless sinners have tried to, to do. And even as we're told the last in the judgment day that there'll be those calling for the rocks to fall upon them to try and hide themselves from God. And it's just futile. It'll never work. The only answer is Christ. And that's why God's omnipresence should drive you to Him. These are sobering considerations. But as I said, for those of us here who do know the Lord... They are comforting considerations. And this is something that, as I said at the beginning, we need to constantly remind ourselves. For the devil will come and try to to lie to you, to convince you that you are somewhere that God has just forsaken. He's left you there. And yet there's no such thing as a God-forsaken place. There's nowhere you can go in this coming week You don't know what's going to come. Neither do I. And yet everything that we will face, the Lord will be there. I pray that we all keep this truth about our God in our hearts. That we look to him by faith. That we keep this very text with us. And even when you begin to doubt when you begin to question where the Lord is, ask yourself this question. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Take it with you and hide it in your heart. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank Thee for how You have revealed Thyself. O oh Lord, we are, we are grateful for You have revealed Yourself entirely for our benefit. O oh Lord, we thank Thee that You give us such, the, such a privilege to behold our God. To behold thy attributes. O Lord, to to see thee in thy wonder and thy splendor. And to be humbled, O Lord. Because we see how finite we are. And how infinite you are. O Lord, we pray, help us to leave with this knowledge. Help us to leave seeking to live this week in a way that is pleasing unto God through Christ. Lord, help us to do our good works. To be seen by our Father, not by men. To pray in secret. Oh Lord, help us to be a people that give ourselves to prayer. That we may glorify our Father in heaven. Oh Lord, we ask for these things that you would help us to live as as good children as it were, Lord. Lord, we commit ourselves to thee and ask that you'd be with us throughout the week. O Lord, that you would comfort thy people, that you would bless us, and that no matter what may come, Lord, we will be able to stop, to be still and know that thou art God. O Lord, we do pray for anyone here, anyone listening or will listen, that does not know Christ. Please, Lord, work in their heart. Save their soul. Lord, please, hear prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.